Hi guys, and I just wanted to pop in for a quick second here before the episode started. Um, so this week I was going to initially put out an episode where I spoke with another person, but if you are following the podcast on Instagram, I had made a post last week about how I'm currently going through like a, a medical um, health issue with my dog, and it's something that I'll probably eventually share a little bit down more more down the line. Um, but my dog is going to be needing some major abdominal surgery later in the month of July. So I haven't really been having the right mindset to work on the interview episode as much. So I'm going to be putting out this one. Either way, this is something that I, I want to be continuing to do. It's just coming out a little bit sooner than expected. Yeah. So with that, I'll, I'll let you guys get to it. Hey, hi, hello. It's Mon, or Mo, or Monica. Hello, I'm your host. Today we're going to be doing a little things a little bit differently. It's not going to be an episode with a guest talking about their story, but it's going to be about a person because this is like a mini so type of thing. Now I have my guest, co-host, person here that's going to be tagging along with this, um, and I will go ahead and let her introduce herself. Hello. Hi, uh, my name is Candice. If I sound familiar, that's because you might remember me from the first season of Cafe with Strangers. I am super excited to hear um, what Mo has to share with me today. So this will be really interesting. All right. <clears throat> Have you ever heard of Delia del Carril? No, never. Great. Neither had I <laughs> until I literally went to the library mm -hmm. and in true fashion the way that i am it was like 20 minutes before they were closing so i was just going straight to the section i'm like all right cool anything latin american history and was like any uh, kind of autobiographies that i could find i literally found this book and oh, i'm like cool it's called the ant um it is by fernando saez i'm just gonna say this right now i'm gonna butcher so many names so many names. You have my permission to laugh at me. This book was actually written in Spanish and it was translated over by Jessica Siquera. Siquera. And so I think that's one of the things that made this book a little bit harder for me is that it was translated. So I don't know if something was lost in translation. So things felt a little bit harder to understand sometimes. It didn't feel like an easy book to read. That's why it took me like a solid month to read this book. But, Delia del Carril. <clears throat> so, before I start talking about her, mm -hmm. we're going to talk a little bit about how the del Carril family ended up in Argentina. The first member of the del Carril familia in, I said that in Spanish. Bilingual. <laughs> uh, they came to Argentina. Ew, Argentina. Mm -hmm. The first person, his name was Juan Vasquez del Carril y del Carril. He was actually sent by Carlos III, which was the king of Spain in the 18th century. He was sent over to be the royal governing mayor and mayor of the first vote in San Juan, Argentina. So that's how that family ended up there. At some point, date not very determined, mm -hmm. Delia's grandfather, Don Salvador Maria del Carril, was forced to flee in exile with his brother. And it was Juan Manuel de Rosas, who was a governor of Buenos Aires, who exiled them. and. Around 1852, when they got exiled, they ended up, the family, Del Carril, ended up coming back from Uruguay, back into 
Argentina and Don Salvador immediately became involved in politics and became vice president of the Argentine Confederation. So pretty early on, his, their family was pretty involved in politics and I forgot to mention where this is from. Where is this from again? It's from Timeless Tea. Timeless Tea. Here in Seattle. Okay, we got, we didn't get coffee. We got boba, but that's not new. It's really good. It is really fucking good. I got a mango milk cream. <laughs> Mine's a taro coconut green tea with boba in it, and it's really good. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Little distraction. No, no big deal. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, not much information on this family other than the bits and pieces that mm-hmm. it just gave me, but that's a little bit of what happened with her grandfather. So, Delia's family, or Delia's parents, are Victor, Victor. Del Carril Dominguez, and her mom was Julia Iraeta Ituriga. So Victor was born May 30th, 1850, in a Brazilian province in Rio Grande. He graduated as a lawyer but didn't practice law. He actually went into politics. Somehow, all this family has been involved in politics in some way, one form or another. And then the mother, she was an only child and bass and her father gave her an education which around this time if you can imagine like the 1860s or something like Mm -hmm. not very common yeah and of course also what was normal back then victor was 27 and julia was 14 when they wed so there you go (laughs) (laughs) so delia now going on to the star of the episode Delia, she was born September 27th, 1884. She a is Libra. a Yeah, I literally had that on there. I'm like, she's a Libra for whoever wants to know. <laughs> she was born in Buenos Aires in pretty much just like a district right outside. And then she was the the fifth of 13 children. She was actually, there was actually 18 total births that the, the family had or Victor and, and, and Julia had. A middle child. <laughs> middle child-ish? Yeah. Ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, kind of like back then, it was super common to also have a lot of kids and not have all of them make it into adulthood. So it was kind of like one of those situations. But she did, right? Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh, no, she did. Oh. Okay. 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 <laughs> remember, remember, she was born 1884. 1884. Okay. okay. All right. Again, I literally went to the library. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, look, an autobiography. Great. Never heard of this person. I'll take it home with me. Literally had no idea what I was getting into. Me neither. No idea. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> okay. So Delia's early years, she was a pretty, if she was born nowadays, would be a typical normal little girl. Mm-hmm. But back then, it was a little bit different by her parents because they were kind of well off for, for, for them. She was told to behave as if the help was beneath her. But Delia always thought of it as like, stupid like Mm -hmm. what do you mean so she would purposely interact with them her mom and her would get into like a lot of like bickering arguments Mm -hmm. and so she was pretty much a lot closer to her dad Mm -hmm. for most of her life she was a a pretty adventurous little kid her mom would say if you wanted to kill yourself why don't you throw yourself off the roof and delia would respond with it is not my destiny oh my god so if this tells you anything about how this person is gonna be i think I had no idea that this family was kind of wealthy because because they lived in Paris for a little bit of time. They kind of would travel back right. and forth a lot. When she was around eight years old, they lived in a hotel in Paris where they had two full floors reserved. Oh, my God. You said uh, they lived in a hotel, and I kind of felt bad until you said two Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah. They were 
kind of back and forth mm-hmm. a little bit, pretty much throughout her entire life, mm-hmm. she was traveling. Wow. A lot. Yeah. So we have a Libra, um, middle child. Ooh. Based on her being a Libra, mm-hmm. how do you think she's going to be? Um, I do think it kind of makes sense that she's somebody who um, cares about other people. You know, um, Libra's an air sign. I feel like air signs are very humanitarian. Um, Libras are all, they're known for like being fair um, and their their symbol is like the balance things, right? So they're known to be like associated with like justice and things like that. They're also not good people pleasers. Um, but yeah, humanitarian. So it makes sense that she was in politics or that her family was in politics. You're smiling. So I'm wondering. Let's just see. Okay. Mm-hmm. how you feel about that at the very end. Not in a bad way. Okay. It's just, I'm excited to mm-hmm. see where this goes. The way that her mom was, was a little bit more on the structural side. Mm-hmm. But when she was in, in Europe, she actually lived with like nuns for a while. So there is that. They didn't really go into much detail other than like, yeah, she actually lived with nuns for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Was she really cute? Charming. Like, did other people find her attractive? Libras are also really charming, charismatic. You know what? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say yes. Mm. I'm going to say yes. Yeah. Um. So, <laughs> in her early years, talking about, like, the teens and young adults. Um. So, they were back in Buenos Aires during, like, in this time period. And Dandia's grandmother, her father's mother passed away on September 19th, 1989, 19, mm-hmm. eight, oh. passed away. <laughs> she was a long life. <laughs> Delia's grandmother, mm-hmm. Victor's mother, right. passed away September 19th, 1898 of breast cancer. Her father, Victor, took this very difficult. It, they were very close. And on the one-year anniversary of her death, Victor actually took his own life. And it was one of his daughters, Delia's sister, that ended up finding him. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was. We'll get more into that a little bit later on. But uh, it's said that Victor favored Delia. And like like I said, they had a better relationship, her and him, than she did with her mom. And then there is this term that they used in the book a couple of times. So I'm just going to mention it. It's called neurasthenia. Basically, it's kind of like an old broad term used to describe when someone was dealing with mental, physical fatigue, like mental illness. Basically, mm-hmm. like if a woman back then in the days was feeling depressed or was over the hectic lifestyle of her shit, they'd be like, oh, my God, you're you're hysteric. You're suffering from hysteria. Mm-hmm. So it was just kind of one of those words where they used to describe anyone going through something minor or bigger minor. It was just like, oh, you're feeling depressed. Oh, you're neurasthenic or something yeah. like that. Was it like specifically to women though? No. Oh, okay. No, it was mm-hmm. broad term for anyone. Okay. Back then when she was young, younger, there was still that thing about debuting in society. Mm-hmm. And so pretty much like, oh, it's time for you to get into the field of getting married and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And and what are the social pages? Just to kind of give you an idea of, not an idea, but because I feel like we all know that it was rough to be like a woman back then, yeah. but just more so an idea of, to remind you, put you in that mm-hmm. mindset a little bit. 
If someone indiscreet were to attempt to peek beneath the tool covering of their faces, he would see there reflected the ardent faith that dwells in their souls of pure virgins, and a languid, gentle smile visible on their rosy lips. It is the smile of satisfaction, of the tranquil conscience felt by those with no mission in the world but to be good and happy. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. So we're useless, pretty much? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also kind of reading it uh, straight from the book, in terms of like social expectations when debuting. The debutante seasons took place over two busy months, June and July, and required participants to dance almost every day, attend the opera and musical performances, preside over horse riding and athletic competitions, and serve as hosts at philanthropic events, all amidst a whirlwind of unrepeatable dresses and hairstyles. Again, what it was like to not be a man back then. <laughs> so Dali was pretty into the arts. She enjoyed singing. She liked to do a lot of artsy stuff and drawing, but she never really knew what she wanted to kind of do. And she felt the pressure to kind of pick a path. But the world around her kind of discouraged her from following through with the music and art that she really wanted to. She really wanted it as, so they kind of turned more into hobbies over time. She began to receive her inheritance, but had no control over it. Again, woman back then. Um, she had no interest in marriage. She had no interest in marrying someone she didn't know. To quote, she wanted relationships based on trust, faithfulness to ideas and projects in common. All of this totally makes sense. But during that time, that's asking for a lot. Yeah. And she was actually one of the last of her friends to, to marry. Again, she from very early age, she was traveling a lot from South America to Europe. And in 1909, she sent a letter to one of her older sisters. I'm in a period of darkness, my Julia. Sometimes I believe that I am neurasthenic, but no... I'm not any imaginary patient. I feel that I don't have a reason to exist, that I don't live for anything, since I haven't even been able to save Raul. I can't make anyone happy, not even myself, due to my inability to love any anybody. You don't need me too much at home. I'm a nuisance, darling. I don't want to tell you the depths of what I think, because with this in my heart, you'll understand why I laugh at social success. Why my irony degenerates into sarcasm. Lately, I've been at parties hearing the kindest things in the world directed at my humble personality. They've declared me to be the most joyful, the most lively, and I've wanted to scream at them. Idiots! Idiots! Before arriving, I cried. I sobbed. I shouted at home. I wish that these farcical comedies would end. They leave my nerves in a miserable state, and I swear that if it were up to me, I'd accept Mama's threat to take me to Switzerland. At least I have the consolation of knowing how to sing, which makes me happy at my old age of 25. Madame Trillot has come to know my voice, and she's got it in her head to make me sing before Gabriel for a barring and her old voice students. It's incredible. She's making me study some barbarity in Italian school. I'm delighted, as you can imagine. I remember Ada well. If only I'd pay more attention and study with her, as I should have. Think of everything I would have learned. Madame Trillat is severe and couldn't be more demanding, but she's very affectionate with me and gives me classes twice a week. Everyone congratulates me because they say that Madame Trillat must expect much of me. If she pays me such great attention, and her own her opinion is highly respected, but it'll be one more step in this useless life of mine without direction. Goodbye, darling. Uh, describe your boys for me, especially the third one. All of you are Delia. 
Oh my god. Poor thing. She feels so depressed. Can you imagine? Yeah, she's like the most um the most famous person in the world is Sunny Hug Brady. I mean I don't even believe her. That she thinks of this madame so highly and she doesn't even really care like that she praises her. What made me very I mean you responded to that in a way that I responded it when I was reading it, mm. when she was talking about her age. Yeah. She wasn't married at twenty five at that time. That's like Yeah. Well we died when they were like forty, so like middle age, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well the whole like singing thing, when she wasn't living in Paris in one day, she had a vocal singer who asked her to perform in front of her students. Um I'm not too sure if it was that same Madame person, mm-hmm. but she ended up getting like stage fright and ultimately wasn't able to perform. This incident left her really embarrassed and pretty much led her to returning back home to Buenos Aires. At this time, there were like some financial concerns leading her to continue to be upset that she couldn't have control over her own money. Still loving the arts, she dis- she pursued her passion in it but kept it on the low. She was in Europe when World War One was starting and it was one of the things that prompted her to move back to Buenos Aires. When she was finally 32 years old, I don't want to say when she was finally 32 years old. When she was 32 years old, she ended up marrying this man called Adan Thiel. And they met had they had met a few years prior. Um, they were like in the same similar Parisian circle. Um, Adan was a pretty fortunate dude in terms of his family had a lot of money. So it allowed him to travel and he was used to getting things his way. He was always like, hey, Delia, let me put a ring on it. And she was always like, nah. So mm-hmm. it made him more persistent. Mm-hmm. A boy. <laughs> Apparently, according to Delia, years later, it was the threat of Adan killing himself if she rejected him again that finally forced her to accept his proposal. Okay, that's toxic. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Red flag, Delia. <laughs> So she didn't really want this, but part of her decision to marry him was due to her aging, quote unquote, aging. Um, But yeah, it was a toxic relationship. It was a very turbulent marriage. She didn't feel comfortable enough around him to do her art because he was like a critique person. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you really enjoy something and you have someone in your life telling you, like, making you feel bad about it, Mm -hmm. red flag. Yeah. And Adan was a jealous person. He had abrupt changes of character. He was controlling and restricting Delia's outings. He would wake her in the middle of the night, asking who was in her dreams. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, because of how you, you can tell how strong, like, independent person Delia was, mm-hmm. like, she would not give in to these things and would feed into it because of her, like, defiance towards his bad behavior. <laughs> so, like, they'd, like, throw vases at each other or other things, apparently. Um, he also had, like, a morphine addiction and was also unfaithful. She was strong-willed, didn't need these limits, so. Then she would find Yeah. <laughs> really, well, physically, I don't know. Other than the whole apparently throwing vases at each other. Um, but yeah, their marriage only lasted four years, and Delia did want to get out of this relationship, but there was this time period where Adan's father had passed, and she didn't want to leave during that time period. But eventually, they went their separate ways. All right, so here's a little bit of information about one of their siblings called Conrado. Should I just say Conrad? No, that's so, no. <laughs> Conrado. So, <laughs> so a little back backstory just to kind of explain 
some of the shit that this family went through. Yeah. Um, so Conrado died at 34 years old, and it was an accident. I'm going to say, I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Justa. Um, so Justa is Delia's sister, and Justa's kid and Conrado were out, like, in a duck shooting outing, mm-hmm. and he accidentally shot his uncle. That's awful. It didn't really explain exact details, but they didn't tell Justa this information. She had no idea that her eldest child was involved in her brother dying, yeah. pretty much. And it wasn't until, like, she had this lady come over who was going to do her nails and, like, mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a sympathetic way was like, hey, I'm sorry that your your kid killed your bro. Uh-huh. And she was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, why would, why would you do that? <laughs> that's how she found out. Yeah. So, so why is it in there? You know, this was a long ass time ago. It's listed as an accident in the book, and this book is like heavily researched. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's saying it's an accident. <laughs> they didn't have cameras back then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Husta was like had a time period of a few years where just like shit hit the fan for her. Yeah. Um, her she had given birth to like a stillborn, and then like. Her, her husband ended up dying of, like, a heart attack. And then, like, her youngest kid ended up passing away when he was a few years old under some, like, mysterious cir- circumstances. He, like, fell from an open window and died instantly. Oh so there was, God. like, this time period where Delia's family, and like, yeah. they just had, like, a lot of tragedy going on. It was just, like, holy shite. Yeah. So around 1929, 1930... Um, you know, Delia was living in Paris, and she ended up deciding to take her painting seriously. She ended up painting with this one person named Juan del Prete, who later became a recognized painter. And she actually got to meet Pablo Picasso, which That's was cool. like, I just didn't realize Pablo Picasso was closer. I thought he was like uh, way, older. way older. Yeah. yeah. I thought he was like gone, gone. But uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. <laughs> And there is this person who was a pioneer in modernism and architecture named Le Corbusier. Wow, that's why it's so white. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and one of the founders of the surrealist movements, Paul Eloir. The amount of names uh-huh. in this book, a lot of them I did not recognize. I don't know who they are, but I looked up a little bit of them and I was like, oh shit, she made a lot of people. Daily was cool. Just wait for it. All right, 1931 to 1933. Um, Delia was living well below her means. She was also pretty good at managing the money that she could or was able to manage. But she got into politics into a way that she never was ever involved in before. She ended up joining the French Communist Party, and her family was not supportive at all. To them, it was considered the very worst transgression. Moving on to about the time period of 1934, 1936. She was almost always either living in Buenos Aires or in France, but in 1934, she moved to Madrid. She continued to paint and would be a translator, going from English to French to Spanish. And it's during these years when her friends gave her the nickname The Ant because of her strong worth ethics. So Ant, uh, again, this book was translated from Spanish to English, so Hormiga, but more so she was called Hormiguita. So, like, little ants. <laughs> and when she was living in Spain, she met a man named Carlos Mora. He was the minister counselor at the Chilean embassy and was a huge admirer of art. He had regular social events at his house, and that's where he and Delia met. So, there are several versions about how they met, but it's likely mm-hmm. that in 1934, Delia met her future husband, Pablo Neruda. Oh. Let me just tell you what Carlos Mora described Pablo as. 
Okay. By quoting the book. Pale and ashen paleness, large and narrow eyes like almonds of black glass. He laughs at every opportunity but without joy, passively. His hair is also very black and poorly combed, and his hands are gray, no elegance whatsoever. His pockets are full of jotted notes and newspapers. What captivates me in him is his voice, a slow, monotonous, nostalgic voice, as of tired but suggestive and full of charm. You know what? Carlos is a hater. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, hold on, hold on. No. <clears throat> we'll get to it. We'll get to it. He's known for, he's not really known for his looks, right? He's known for his poetry. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who Pablo Neruda that was, but yeah, he was. I only know who he is because never seen How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> no, actually, talk about him. Oh no way! Yeah, like the main character, because he's like this, like um, this guy who's like super into like smart people stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's into art and all this stuff. Very um, sensitive, like a Ross type from Friends, mm-hmm. you know. So he talks about it in the in that show. I literally <laughs> I watch too much TV. Literally, the only two there's only two names in this book that I knew, and mm-hmm. one of them was Pablo Picasso. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. the other one, well, we'll you'll know. Okay. <laughs> so, Pablo was actually born. I'm so sorry for this pronunciation. Ricardo Eliezer Neftali Reyes Pasualto. Why he went by Pablo Neruda, I don't know. He was born in Chile in Parral, Chile. Um, his mom apparently had passed like a month after his birth or so, um, yeah. but he was pretty much raised in Chile. His father was a railroad worker. He moved to Santiago, Chile at a young age. He studied to become a French teacher at the University of Chile. He loved books and writing was his biggest interest. He did his first novel when he was 19 years old. His father was also really not accepting of Papo's passion for writing, but I guess it kind of makes sense when... I can see that being a thing when back in that time, if your dad was a railroad worker and you're like, hey, dad, I'm going to go study some French in school and be a writer, whatever. Mm-hmm. So Pablo also ended up traveling quite a bit. He traveled to Ceylon, Java, and Singapore. And in Java is where he actually married a, a Dutch woman um, named Maria. So um, Maria and him, they moved to Chile, then Buenos Aires, and then Barcelona. So Pablo was still married. When he met Delia. Okay. But their marriage was not a happy one, and they became more estranged when he, when he and his wife, wife's daughter was born. Their daughter was born with hydrocephalus, and pretty much Pablo just was absent for most of her life. Mm-hmm. It was also when his daughter was born that he and Delia's relationship intest- intensified. It stopped being private in the early, like, 1935. Mm-hmm. They were keeping it on the low initially, and then afterwards you're like, out and about in public about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so during this time period, they were feeling the effects of World War II brewing while living in Spain, and there was a lot of death and destruction around them. And mm-hmm. it was then that they decided to leave Spain for Paris. In 1937, Delia's mother ended up passing away of pancreatic cancer. Her mom was still in Buenos Aires, and she was in Europe, so for her, it wasn't, because she was never as close to her mom, and mm-hmm. because of the distance away, it wasn't as it wasn't as impactful as when her father passed away. Well, she had mommy issues. And she was Same girl. Favorite. <laughs> in 1938, Pablo and Delia traveled to Chile. And his friends welcomed her with open arms. Aww. They apparently really didn't like his wife, Maria. Mm. But, you know. They had a lot of social gatherings in their home. And that's kind of the one thing that Delia was always around and accustomed to him from the very young age to 
the the age that she passed like mm-hmm. she was always having social gatherings she was always at other people's homes or they were at her place like there was mm-hmm. it was a thing yeah and Very Libra of her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Adelia eventually while living in Chile she took a trip back home to Buenos Aires and she found out that Adan was living there her first husband mm-hmm. and he had gone bankrupt it was during that time that she was like all right cool I'm gonna get a lawyer and she pursued the divorce at that point mm-hmm. Delia had been away from her home country for about seven years from her home country and her family and to her it showed she felt it jumping on to the next time frame mm-hmm. period between around 1939 to 1943 okay so the president of chile aguirre serra had accepted pablo's proposal to bring some spanish refugees from france to chile and delia was also involved by getting them clothes and belongings in 1939 is when they traveled to paris to work on bringing the refugees the spanish refugees over to chile again this is when like world war ii was starting to go on everything like that so mm-hmm. I thought it was really cool that they actually helped to get some people over. Yeah. They got help from some French friends and the Mexican embassy. They only stayed for a few months, but they ended up help- – I could not get the exact amount of number, but they mm-hmm. ended up getting, like, a whole bunch of people on a boat to travel um, from from Paris to, to, to Chile. And the boat was called the Winnipeg. I'm sure I could find some more information if I really looked on that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, but anyways, so in 1940, they returned back to Santiago, Santiago, Chile. And shortly after, though, Pablo was named as a consul in Mexico. So he and Delia set off to Mexico. During this time, Pablo ended up really liking a certain animal. And to not get in trouble with Delia, he had a friend gift him said animal. And it became their pet that they named the child. Mm-hmm. It was a badger. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, why would why was he worried about getting in trouble? It didn't specifically say, but imagine like you're in a relationship and your partner brings home like something. You're like, dude, really? Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, but my yeah. friend gave it to me. It's yeah. kind of like it's, it kind of gave me the impression like, yeah, it's yeah. my friend gave it to me. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty much kind of like that situation going on. Okay. Um, and the badger lived with them for a hot minute, and then it was like on Christmas Day or something. He bit a child, so they gave him oh. to the zoo. But yeah, mm-hmm. hey, look, meet my pet. A kid. Yeah. The badger yeah. named the kid. Uh-huh. El hijo. I'm assuming they'd call him El hijo. <laughs> yeah. Which is even funnier. Okay, so I thought Pablo was cool. Mm-hmm. Or I guess no. I didn't have an opinion on Pablo. Okay. Neutral? And It, it was neutral first. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then <clears throat> Pablo loved to joke with Delia. Uh-huh. And especially in a way that would annoy her. Okay. He would go up to her or he would get people to go up to her and say, aunt, give me some cajeta. Hormiguita, dame cajeta. Which, okay, to me, cajeta means like the sweet caramel candy thing. Uh-huh. But Argentinian Spanish, that's a slang word. For, Something nasty. For vulva, for pussy. Oh. <laughs> So he would get people who had no idea what that slang word would mean. And because, yeah. again, she's Argentinian. So yeah. you you have someone going up to you and be like, you, it sounds innocent to that person. But to you, you're like, this person's asking you to give them some, some pussy. So you're like, yeah. the fuck? But it was like those things that he liked to do to her. And I was like, okay, whatever. Uh-huh. How would she respond? Do you know? He'd, she'd get annoyed. Yeah. She's like, like, eye roll kind of thing. Um, did she know it was him doing that? I'm pretty sure he did. I'm pretty sure, yeah, she did. She's like, who sent you? I think it's like <laughs> the way that they, they they had it written on here mm-hmm. and like the way that it was written, it's just like 
he would do that enough where I think she just got the point or like mm-hmm. she understood that it was him and she would like walk out of the door or sometimes like get annoyed and leave parties because like whatever you're being a dick again. Mm-hmm. But apparently Pablo did have some mad respect for her and he would consult her when it came to his work and highly valued her opinions. I was I, I was I was still a little neutral at this point. Okay. Mm-hmm. But then uh, So you're about to have an opinion on him. <laughs> there were a few times when I was reading this book I mm-hmm. had to put it down because I was pissed off at him. Really? Yeah. Okay, so you I, at least him. twice. Uh-huh. At least twice. I put the book down, I'm like, fuck you, Pablo. <laughs> <laughs> so in nineteen forty three, um, so Pablo and Maria, the the first mm-hmm. wife had they only had one kid that's the only kid he ever had and yes she ended up dying in 1943 and it was her death that prompted him to start the divorce process with his estranged wife Mm -hmm. and then once that all got done with and everything um on july 2nd 1943 delia and pablo officially got married in the tecala morelos mexico it's about to be their anniversary (laughs) well (laughs) well technically um the following month pablo Resigned as a consul, and they ended up having a farewell party that was attended by, like, 2,000 people. Oh, my God. All right. Uh-huh. And later in November, the newlyweds returned to Chile. So following the next time period, the next decade or so, between 1944 and 1955, all right, Delia's money, like uh-huh. the last of it, was yeah. poorly handled. Um, there was a friend of Pablo's that they thought was a good, trusting person and a friend and had, like, good business. The friend offered to handle Delia's capital. Things seemed fine for a few months. And then they discovered that his friend had declared bankruptcy. And then before they could really do anything about it, he died in a, in a car accident. So. Dang. So he just like left them and yeah. So politics, lots of politics in the situation. Because besides being a poet, Pablo was also into politics mm-hmm. and the government stuff. Um, right. He was a consulate. Yes. Various mm-hmm. times. Um, so during this time, Chile's president at the time was Gabriel Gonzalez Videla, and he things got a little bit like rustled during mm-hmm. this time period. Um, communism and moving underground or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. Pablo was not a stranger to stirring things up, mm-hmm. and he made some comments, critiques about Videla that were very problematic. During this time, Pablo and Delia decided to leave Chile for Mendoza, Argentina. And remember his given name, because he went by Pablo Neruda, mm-hmm. his ID and his passport, they weren't matching. Mm-hmm. So that basically stopped them from leaving Chile. Oh. Well, now they needed to find refuge, pretty much. Mm-hmm. They were, um, there was even a reward for Pablo's capture. So oh my gosh, he was, what did he say? <laughs> I, you know, it didn't say, oh. and I didn't look it up. Honestly, yeah. I don't know. I was getting bad vibes from this kid, so I was like, this is Delia's story, not yours. Yeah. You're just you're just there. <laughs> you're just there. Look what you got me into. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> they pretty much spent a whole year in hiding. Um, the first couple that they went to, they didn't know, but they trusted. It was like a Chilean engineer, and one of them was a Spanish refugee. Mm. This is... Back then, when they ended up helping these refugees come over, people from there ended up popping up in their lives later on in the future. Some of them ended up still becoming friends. Um, There was this man called Victor Bay, who was one of the refugees on that boat, helped them out. He had an unoccupied apartment that they stayed in. And I think they, I don't know how long they stayed there for, but they stayed there for a little bit in that in his apartment. And he would bring them food, did errands and requests for them while they were hiding there. And they stayed for with another couple for about two months after they left Victor Bay's apartment. So during this time, Pablo's first wife, Maria Antonieta Hagenar, the Chile government brought her over. 
and the government was going to help support her to pursue claims towards Pablo, including bigamy and alimony. So really, yeah. so the government is mad. They brought, they brought the baby. You, you know, I really should have looked into what he said. Yeah. <laughs> We'll Can you imagine your government being so mad at you that they bring over and support your ex from another country. Yeah. Things did get settled. Um, mm-hmm. While he was in hiding, he got yeah. his lawyer to help reach to an agreement. The book said that she, Maria was given 300,000 pesos. I am assuming this is Chilean pesos. Yeah. And so I did a little bit of math stuff here. If it's Chilean pesos, that's like 370 in today's dollars. With inflation, that's about $6,200, which if you think about it, the fact that Baba was never really in her life, mm-hmm. Maria had to take care of the kid on her own, mm-hmm. $6,200, I am shit. I know, that's like a month's worth. That's not really anything. Yeah. This is where I started getting, mm, uh-huh. about Baba, I'm like, okay, see you, buddy. Yeah, deadbeat. <laughs> Serious? So it was um, their final hideaway during their time of hiding was this, with this man named um, Simon Tillerman. Mm-hmm. And they stayed there for about a month. They were making plans to escape the count, the country. But Delia realized that she wasn't being included in these escape mm-hmm. plans. According to some, Pablo was the one that opposed her coming on the escape trip. So he did leave without her. Why? Part of me is like, okay, they were really after him. Yeah. Not really so much her. So maybe, I don't know, there isn't an explanation, but... Like he was saving her, hopefully? I don't know, man. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't really, again, I didn't really care. I'm like, mm-hmm. it's not your story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> favor. Well, oh. <laughs> two months later after that, Delia ended up traveling to Poland and they reunited there together. And Pablo apparently had some sort of seat of honor because of his political beliefs. Mm-hmm. He and Delia actually ended up meeting Stalin. And I think I remember reading something about Stalin gifted Delia a piece of clothing or something. Interesting. I know. Was he the other person that you recognized? He said you oh, actually, you. I hella forgot about him. Oh. Okay, so there's still someone else. That- okay, but besides Stalin, there's one other person. <laughs> then you'll know. Then you'll know. Okay. Okay. So later on, the couple took a trip to Mexico for the Latin American Congress of Supporters for the Peace. What that is, I didn't look it up. <clears throat> they Their stay there ended up lasting longer than planned due to Pablo getting sick. He got this thing called thrombophlebitis, pretty much like a blood clot or something like that. His veins inflamed. I should have looked that up. Oh, that sounds painful. Let me look it up because I thought I... Thrombo means like platelets, phlebitis, and, and then phlebitis is like vein inflamed. Yes. I didn't know that. <laughs> medical terminology. Oh. I mean, you have to you have to take this medical terminology class, and so pretty much you're mm-hmm. able to kind of figure out what some words are just based off mm-hmm. what it's supposed to mean, whatever. Because a phleb, phleb, phleb means mm-hmm. vein, and then itis is inflamed. Mm-hmm. Okay, so flamed vein and then thrombo has to do with the blood clot and so yeah it's swollen or inflamed vein due to a blood clot gross (laughs) yeah and Mm -hmm. that left him bedridden for about two months and during this time pablo ended up writing finishing editing his book canto general and this is where mexican painters david alvaro siqueros and diego rivera contributed paintings for the cover that's the other name. Oh. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And then while Pablo was sick, a Chilean woman by the name of Matilde Urrutia, Urrutia entered his life. Well, technically re-entered. Mm-hmm. They had met once before at one of his readings, Uh-oh. but he didn't remember that encounter. Mm-hmm. But she did. And when they met once again in Mexico, this spark ignited between the two. 
Okay. She was 34 years old when they met, and he was around 42 years old. She was originally prepared to take care of him while he was sick. She was some, like, some sort of physical therapist or something, and it's going to be looking after, looking after their home as well. When Pablo recovered, Matilde traveled with him on a trip to Guatemala, and then they parted ways, and Pablo and Delia left for Europe. But mm-hmm. Pablo did some shady shit oh, no. to spend some more time with his lover. He invited her to Paris first, and then Germany. He ended up pulling some strings to have her basically coincidentally there nearby. Yeah. And Matilde was always appearing on trips. And Delia was just like... How much did she know at this point? Also, how are they able to like go to all these like these are already invented? Do we all this by boat? <laughs> okay, some bo- no, I think what hold up, hold up. Planes invented. Well, technically they were invented in like the early nineteen hundreds, but like commercial planes. <laughs> you know what? I thought that they did it by boat, but then there are times that I figured that they would fly. I don't know, man. Me neither. But they were traveling a fucking lot. (laughs) Again, Batilia was always appearing on trips. And to help remove suspicion, she began appearing as the lover of a friend so she could travel with them. He had other people help him continue this infidelity. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. At one point, Pablo even convinced Delia to return to Chile and end her exile and resolve any kind of legal cases around her. And as soon as Delia left for South America... Matilde joined Pablo. Oh my. Threw my book down. I was like, mm-hmm. mm. Yeah, that's uh, not good. So before leaving for South America in January of 1952, she sent a letter to her friend, um, Gabriela Mistral. My dearest, don't take this as sentiment- sentimentalism, romanticism, sad thought, or strange forebodings. I am leaving tomorrow. I know that the same risks might be run in the streets of a city of four walls of a bedroom if fate gets involved. But with Pablo, we've always talked every time that we travel about each of us making a will. We've never made this project into a reality, and I can't do so now since I know there are formal procedures I don't understand, which can be tricky in a foreign country. But I'd like to leave a record before Lucy, Lucila Godoy, Consul of Chile, and my dear admired friend Gabriela Mistal, that everything I possess as Delia del Carril de Reyes in Chile or as Delia del Carril in Argentina will go to will go through my will by an illegal right to Pablo Neruda. Oh. I know that this declaration in a letter has no more value than what you give to it with your immense prestige, but it would be decisive should the matter arise. I'm not afraid of any wrong actions on the part of my family, but it isn't for nothing that the two of us have always thought of making a will. As soon as I get to Buenos Aires, I will legalize this ideal. Send you much love, Gabriela. Give my love to Pablo too. Kisses to Doris. Delia del Carri de Reyes. Can we look up Pablo's birthday really quick? (laughs) I want to see what his sign is. He was born. Oh, he's a cancer. Oh. July 12th. Okay. I only know like two signs off the the bat. Um, July 12th, 1904. He's a cancer. He's a cancer. Cancers are known to be manipulative. Dun, dun, dun. I have I have family members that are cancer. <laughs> they're so emotional, you know, and they're just so like they tend to just give affection, give love mm-hmm. without like putting so much intention in it, so they can come up as manipulative. Mm-hmm. I dated this one cancer, and everyone said that he was gonna be a hoe, 
I was the only one who didn't believe them until it was confirmed. So I'm kind of biased against campers. My ex was a cancer. Was he hell? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> well, so that's, that's a story yeah. for off the record. I know those are three cancer men who have no hope. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, onto another one. <laughs> so Pablo eventually got amnesty from the government, so he returned to Chile and got once again involved in politics. Even with his return, his lover was nearby. And on October 27, 1952, Delia and Pablo got into a car accident. Pablo had the, had the minor injury. Mm-hmm. His arm, his right arm was like placed in a cast and was discharged from the hospital. Delia, on the other hand, was unconscious and ended up staying hospitalized for two days. Oh, no. So in the meantime, oh, no. Maltilde stayed in their home to care for Pablo until Delia came back home. And in late 1952, Pablo and Delia traveled to Moscow. Again, there were a lot of times that I was just like, Earlier, like, we were like, how did they travel so much? Mm-hmm. I guess that's why I assumed plane because of the yeah. amount of traveling. I don't know. But anyways, yeah. 1952, Moscow. Pablo ended up developing a really developing a really bad case of the flu. And despite having a really high fever, he made the effort to return to Chile. Because apparently, Matilda gave him an ultimatum. Come back to me before the year ends or she leaves. Mm-hmm. So people were becoming suspicious of what Matilda was to Pablo. They were really having, like, tea over the situation. Mm-hmm. And they also thought that Delia must have been aware in yeah. one way or another or had her own suspicions. But possibly not because she was convinced by Pablo to travel to Paris and handle the deluxe edition of his book, the mm-hmm. Canto General. She was going to revise it and focus on the translation. Pablo told Delia no one knew the poems like she did. He's still an Yeah, right <laughs> While in Paris, Delia said something was wrong and eventually left Paris before the book was re-released. Back in Chile, back in Chile, tried to convince, <laughs> combine Chile and Delia together. Back in Chile, Delia was doing some spring cleaning, which was apparently normal for her to do and have these like spring cleaning moments, but like mm-hmm. honestly the same. She's gonna find something. Mm, she ended up finding what seemed like too many hidden whiskey and champagne bottles. Mm-hmm. Like again. They were always having parties and get-togethers. So it wasn't the amount that she found. It was more so that they were hidden that Uh made her suspicious. This is, like, the first time they mentioned anything about her feeling like something was off. Yeah, yeah. All right. And traveling back a little bit, in 1940, Delia bought a house under her name on a place called um, Isla Negra, and it had a beautiful view of the coast. Pablo frequently brought his lover here, and Matilde was there so often that she ended up acting like she was the lady of the house. Oh, my. And, and Delia's house. Mm-hmm. So, again, like, when she was growing up, she never saw the help as beneath her. Right. So the worker, the the maids and the caretakers that she had, mm-hmm. they, they liked her, or they at least trusted her, because mm-hmm. one of the caretakers of the Isla Negra house was... Fed up with apparently the poor treatment that she was receiving there. So she ended up traveling to Delia and mm-hmm. like revealed the whole situation. <gasps> and what do you think Mr. Pablo did? Lied. Yes. Uh-huh. He denied everything. Uh-huh. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> so months went on before anything was really resolved. And then once Delia, and then Delia, once calm and confident, was starting to become like alert and suspicious, mm-hmm. she began looking for irrefutable proof. Mm-hmm. One day, When she was looking through his clothes, she found a letter in one of Pablo's jackets. It was a letter from Matilde, and 
It's dated that she was pregnant. <gasps> she did end up having a miscarriage at around two months or so, but still, she was like, uh-uh, I'm fucking mm-hmm. done. She, at that point, made the decision to separate from him. <sighs> Pablo said that Delia would always be his wife, and La Matilde was <clears throat> prepared to occupy a secondary role. Oh, my gosh. Mm. I gotta tell you the amount of times I put this book down. Uh-huh. Yeah, Pablo also pulled another dick move. What? What now? <laughs> he was kind of like, hey, Matilda's doing what you did when I was still married to Maria. And mm-hmm. he was like, how can mm-hmm. you not understand? He was like saying like, oh, you should understand all people because this... Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, that is so manipulative. This is a letter which it's speculated that Pablo wrote in a response uh-huh. to Delia, but they've yeah. never found like a letter to kind of be proof of that. But yeah. they're just assuming it's responding to one of Delia's letter. February 20th, 1955. My dear darling aunt, your last letter is offensive and it's hard not to be so given our circumstances, but I won't go into the details you suggest. My admiration for you is intact, and in this case, I agree we shouldn't continue to hurt each other. For my part, I've offered you all the solutions that can humanly occur to me. If you don't accept them, at least don't insult them. Nothing can erase how much you've done in our marriage, nor your words of encouragement. For my part, I've done as much as I can. If you've made friendships everywhere on your own, if you're loved, with tenderness by so many people, it's due to your intelligence and charming personality, but also because of the number of opportunities I've given you to meet these people and visit these countries. As for other trips you made alone, you're wrong. You're wrong to blame um, Homero, Pablo's secretary, or to speak about partners in crime. I believe I proceed with all the delicacy only you deserve. Why should I say things you won't accept as your attitude demonstrates? You say these were stabs in the back. If this were so, then the history of human life, all of life with its unavoidable changes, would only be a history of stabs in the back. Your part in my life is established whatever you do. And if I've made a mistake or been unjust, forgive me as you know how. As for me... I'll keep for you the same affection, tenderness, respect, and friendship I've had for so many years, Pablo. He is so fake. Oh my god, like she didn't travel before him. Like she didn't have friends before him. Delia never responded to that letter. Good for her. He got left on red. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, that is the best response. Uh They both developed countless mutual friendships. And there were a lot of friends that ended up taking sides. One of Pablo's closest friends apparently agreed to never, like, ever meet with him again. It's possible that Diego Rivera sided with Pablo. I can see that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not too sure. I don't remember what it was, but it's just, like, the way that they had it written, like, Mm -hmm. seemed like he sided. So then Delia ended up leaving Chile and traveled back to Buenos Aires. And then from there, she lived in Europe. So the next time frame deals with about 1956 to 1981. Mm -hmm. Delia once wrote, I'm a dove with a wounded wing. She mostly kept quiet about what had happened. She returned to doing what she always loved, which was art Mm -hmm. and to paint. After living in Europe for about a year, she returned back to Santiago, Chile and continued focusing on her art. 
There was a home that she and Pablo previously shared together in Chile that ended up being returned to her because they were so involved with politics. They, mm -hmm. It was something like they ended up lending the house to the political party or something like that. But basically, um, she ended up living in that home for, for a hot minute. So Delia was getting very involved in her art and the art world. She ended up joining this group where, where more than like 26 artists worked. It was called Workshop 99. And she started doing exhibits and galleries and her work was being shown and she was starting to sell her artwork. After some years, Delia began to open up about the affair. She ended up feeling pretty hurt, as you can imagine. Pain due to the deception and the lies. And it was like the disloyalty that was unforgivable to her. She left South America for, for France for a little bit, had a brief visit in Moscow, and then returned to Chile. And then once she was in back in South America, Delia ended up having a fall, and she had a broken hip. While at the hospital, she had a friend visit her and read some poems from Pablo's latest book. Mm -hmm. It's called Me Memorial de Isla Negra, Island, or Isla Negra, a notebook keepsake. Mm -hmm. And these poems were titled Amores Delia One and Amores Delia Two. Uh -huh. So two of these poems, I don't, one of them is really fucking, they're both really long and one of them, I'm only going to read like a little bit of it just because, actually no, I'm not going to read it because it's not that good. <laughs> Anyways, uh -huh. I'll have you read, that one is a very long one, the other poem, but I think it kind of just gives you another view, awareness of how Pablo was mm -hmm. or is and Considering that this is being translated from Spanish to English, it's not that bad, but we'll have you read it. The people fell silent and slept. Each time one was and will be. Maybe it wasn't resentment that was born in you, because it's written where it can't be read. That spent love is not death, but a bitter form of being born. Forgive me for my heart, inhabited by a great buzzing of bees. I know you, like all beings, will touch the sublime honey and break away from the lunar stone. Of the firmament, your own star, you crystalline among women. I do no scorn, I do not contempt, I am a treasure of the sea, I barely hear. Damaging words, and I rebuild. My room, my science, my joy. If only I could add the sadness of my absent eyes. But neither reason nor madness were for me. I loved again and love rose up as a wave in my life. And I went filled by love, only love, without intending anyone unhappiness. For that reason, mostly gentle passenger, thread of steel and honey who tied my hands. Through the echoing years, you exist as not a vine on a tree, but with your own truth. I will pass, we will pass, says the water, and sings the truth against the stone. The riverbed spills over and branches away. The mad grass is grown on the bank. I will pass, we will pass, says night today. Month to year, time, granting an integrity to the testimony of those who lose and, lo and those who would gain. But tirelessly the tree grows and the tree dies and life yields. Another germ, and everything goes on. And it's not adversity that separates beings, but growth. And a flower never dies, it keeps on being born. For that reason, although forgive me, as I forgive. And he's guilty, and she, and they come and go, those tongues tied to bafflement and shamelessness. The truth is that everything has blossomed, and the sun doesn't know scars. 
So this is to her? Because of their relationship, it's pretty safe to assume that it is for her or like regarding her. Um, and she only really said, how lovely. What a pity it's by Pablo and dedicated to me. <laughs> I'm like, fuck yeah, yes. Go for it, go for it. The reason I wanted you to read it also, mm -hmm. like reading that to me, again, even with it translated, mm -hmm. he seems like he, I'm, I'm getting the impression like he doesn't think he did wrong. Right, right. Like he didn't do it as wrong as it's seeming. Yeah, totally. We will pass. Like it makes it sound like, it makes it sound like, oh, they were separated due to a war. And, or something he, and like he's that. guilty as she. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Anyways, so two months after her fall, Delia was up and trying to walk, and she wanted to get better and do whatever it is that she could do to get better. Um, and not long after that, she resumed her painting again. In late 1965, she was invited to Buenos Aires to have her work exhibited at the Lirole Gallery. This was her first time going to her home country as an artist, and she would exhibit her art in Buenos Aires once more later in her life. In 1966, Pablo sent a request to have their marriage annulled. So she didn't, he didn't want a divorce. He wanted it annulled. Did he have, like, could he have done that? Like, You know what? I thought so, too. But I don't know. Because apparently it they got it annulled. Like, Adelia refused at first. And, which, honestly, I get it. She later agreed to it, and it became officially annulled on June 16th, 1966. In another interview, she made a following, the following comment about their marriage. You know, I don't want to talk about that love. Those 20 years are erased. They don't exist. They're annulled. Mm -hmm. It's like they didn't even happen. She moved on. So, so Pablo and Matilda mm -hmm. and Delia ended up running into each other a few times afterwards. They were both kind of in the same circle so you know right. it was kind of gonna it was gonna it was yeah. going to kind of happen once was like at a house following a big exhibition they'd gone to and another one like another one was at a mutual friend's birthday celebration also apparently matilde was not liked by their friends in the way mm -hmm. that delia was mm -hmm. so out of all the women that pablo was with she was the only one that she was liked by friends so i was like mm -hmm. get a girl in 1967 one of her sisters that she was really close with passed away in a letter she wrote, and then comes the pain, the pain in my chest, brutal, contradictory, to ask why her and not me. Mm -hmm. Some, again, some things were still the same. She had parties at her place all the time, whether it was friends, relatives, or renters. Eventually, mm -hmm. she ended up having a lot of people kind of renting out her, her rooms. Um, one of the people who rented her room once said, when talking about mm -hmm. Delia, she had an immense tolerance. She was beyond good and evil. There was never an argument or any trouble. She wanted to live and be happy. Mm -hmm. So I think like every single time there's been something about her, I feel like it's always been really good, positive stuff. Yeah. They added a lot of like weird information on mm -hmm. here that was like very random. Like, oh yeah, she went here. And during this time, <laughs> she put like some eye drops in her eyes, but it actually wasn't her prescribed eye drops. It was boric acid. So she was blind for like a little bit. I was like, what the oh fuck? So temporarily blind? I don't know. I was like looking, I was like, okay, boric acid it has various uses, mm -hmm. pesticides, preservatives, antiseptics, suppository, can be in an eye solution, possible negative side effects. I don't know. Mm -hmm. A little weird random shit in here. Yeah. So again, she liked to have a lot of parties and things going on in her, in her house. In January of 1971, an English ambassador named Jeffrey Jackson was kidnapped in Montevideo, Uruguay by the guerrilla group, the Tupamaros National Liberation Movement. They're usually just 
que es called the Tupamaros. Mm -hmm. So no resolutions were met for months, but finally an English ambassador in Chile and representatives of the Ur Uruguayan movement agreed to meet, but they needed to find like the perfect location. Mm -hmm. And they happened to think that Delia's house was the perfect place for that. Mm -hmm. So during this time, Delia had heard that the Moscow Circus was coming to town and she decided to host a party at her house. It was expected to have like close to 100 people, artists coming. And one of the people who rented a room in Delia's home was somehow involved in this meeting. And Delia somehow became aware that there was something going on during the party, but she mm -hmm. never intervened, mm -hmm. like, at all. She was like, oh, hey, nice friend you got there. They should come over downstairs later. Mm -hmm. It was like, okay. She's like, not my business. <laughs> Pretty much. <Yeah. laughs> so she's like, mm, pink yeah. elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. The meeting was a success, and not long after, over 100 Tupamaros escaped through tunnels in a prison, including a man named Jose Mujica, who actually would become Uruguay's president from 2010 to 2015. I've heard of him. I had it. <laughs> he took like, a little buzz or something like that. He's like really poor or something. I don't know. Because he gives away all his money. Oh, no fucking way. Yeah. Huh. That's why he drives like a little bug because he doesn't want to be like super flashy. This was like, I, I saw all this on like social media, so I could be exaggerating. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. that's the one. Oh my god! Yeah, oh my god, he's so cute. Look at him. Yeah, he's adorable. just like very modest. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. Okay, damn, that's wild. Yeah, so she knew some pretty cool people. <laughs> I don't know that she met him. Oh. I don't think so. Okay, that was just he was one of the prisoners that escaped from that prison in a different country. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> but yeah, so that prison uh, called Punta Carretas is actually now a shopping mall. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, and three days later, after those um, president or those presidents, those prisoners escaped, mm -hmm. the English ambassador, Jeffrey Jackson, was released after being in captivity for about eight months. In October of 1971, Pablo Neruda won the Nobel Peace Prize in literature. Mm -hmm. It only made me upset because I'm just like, dude, you're kind of like a terrible person. Yeah, like you again. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. In an interview, Delia basically said that she wasn't surprised that this happened and that she admires his poetry, but she threw some shade at her ex-husband's wife. Mm -hmm. I don't think he got the Nobel Prize because of his verses for Matilde Urritia. Oh, mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. she's mm -hmm. not wrong. Um, but apparently she didn't really have an opinion on her, so... Whatever. She moved on. Yeah. That's all she needed to say, though, honestly. Because exactly. you know, Matilde, she felt that for the rest of her life. Oh, she must have. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Goddamn. But, okay, Matilda did do one thing. What? That'll come up a little bit later. Okay. I was like, all right, cool. You got some redeeming qualities. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, honestly, they didn't really t talk too much about her. And, I, again, I didn't really look into it. I was like, this isn't your story. So, mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, Delia was, she was doing a lot of, like, rehab and everything like that to get her hips back into, like, um, back to how they were. Um, but she was still having a lot of pain from it and wasn't able to move around as well. So she ended up undergoing a second surgery for a prosthesis. And she pretty much told her friends that she wanted to be able to paint and dance again. Her friends are very concerned that she wouldn't survive this. Um, which I makes sense because at this point she was 87. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, but she went underwent the surgery and it was success. Her mobility visibly improved and her pain disappeared. So in the early 1970s, Chile's government and economy were struggling. There were like some curfews that were announced. Names were read off in the radio. People who like needed to turn themselves in to the Ministry of Defense, and there were some of these names that she recognized. There were like mm -hmm. friends and acquaintances 
Lots of people were talking. There were talks of like executions, arrests, and raids. And the people who were renting at Delia's home feared for their well-being and left. And eventually it was just Delia and her maids living in that big home. Mm-hmm. And it was a good thing that they left because eventually soldiers raided Delia's home and several times over the course of like a couple of days. And mm-hmm. the military was actually searching for various people who did actually live in Delia's place at one point. Mm-hmm. But her responses. I really like this person, man. <laughs> Some of her responses to these people, the military people, yeah. was really badass. And she really didn't hold back from, like, stating her opinions. One of the things she'd be like, let's see, Mr. Oficial, what do you think? Does this horse jump or not? Once when she was, like, mm-hmm. working in the middle of her painting, she used to draw a lot of horses. Yeah. So she's, like, casually painting. And she's like, what do you think about this horse, man? Uh-huh. And then another one was like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm leaving. It's I've been invited to lunch. And it's very hard for me to walk. I'm not going to come back to my bedroom and wait for you to do what you've got to do. So I'm just like, okay, go. Yeah. She's like, oh, you're going to come read my home again? All right, cool. Just make for, remember to close the door behind you. <laughs> make it easy for me. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. And on September 24th, 1973, Delia had learned that Pablo had passed away the day before. And it did affect her to the point where she got emotional in front of her friends. Whereas before she, when like the whole issue mm-hmm. affair was going on, she was pretty reserved about it. And this time she was like. She let it out. She let it out. Mm-hmm. They were married for like 20 years. Yeah. So Were they together that long too? Or? Yeah, pretty much shortly after they met, mm-hmm. they ended up getting, whether it was like close friendship mm-hmm. that eventually developed to a relationship, they were pretty together. So the people that were close to her wanted to take her to like, to like a calmer place where she wouldn't really have to be subjected to the raids again and just be kind of looked after. But two days after arriving at their friend's place um, in a neighboring province, Delia became paralyzed and spent too much hospitalized due to a collapsed vertebrae. And that was apparently due to her advanced osteoporosis. After leaving the hospital, Delia returned to her home. Finding renters was really difficult, and a lot of her friends had become refugees. Prisoners were exiled. They were missing or they had died. And the people that were able to stay and decided to stay in the area, some of them still end up gathering pretty regularly at her house. But just some things were different, like they had like a curfew they had to follow. Mm -hmm. Um, Her friends helped her out financially at times, too. And then Matilde, she even sent monthly income to to her through the Neruda Foundation. But apparently Delia wasn't aware of it for a really long time. I mean, that is nice of her. How, what made her want to do that? Don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that was something mm-hmm. that maybe... Oh, I didn't think about that. I wonder if Pablo had like, hey, make sure you send it like will, or something. Maybe. But yeah. for whatever reason, she, still did, she it. did it. Mm-hmm. She did it. Shortly after, like, in 1975, she did two trips to exhibit her art. So, like, during this time period, she is also, again, traveling one way or another. Mm -hmm. She was exhibiting her art, and she really loved to actually give her art away sometimes to people just to see how, like, happy they looked to receive it. The next time period from 1982 and on. Mm -hmm. So Delia was losing her hearing. She was depending on other people to take care of her. Uh, She once ended up needing, like, an urgent surgery. She slept, like, for, like, 15 days following the procedure but ended up recovering. The last, like, 10, 11 years of her life, she had this woman named Rosita Callejas that was her caretaker. In September of 1984, Delia celebrated her 100th birthday. Yeah. 
And a few months later, after her 100th birthday, she ended up suffering from hemiplegia, where one side of her body became paralyzed. Oh. She became like a lot quieter than she ever had before, and for several years, she had to be fed through a gastric tube. Shortly after this time period and around this time period, some of our exiled friends were beginning to return back to Chile, but she didn't often recognize them. On the early morning of July 26, 1989, her caretaker Rosita went to go tend to her. Rosita held her hand, Delia leaned her head against her body, and shortly after, Delia stopped breathing. She was 104, wow. only two months shy of her 105th birthday. Oh my gosh. Wow. Delia's wake took place in the old dining room of her house, and it was raining that day. And so with that, I will leave you with one last quote mm -hmm. from Delia del Carril. Let's hear it. La hormiguita. The drop of water that we are, which might be lovely for a moment, cannot be compared with the ocean. The important thing is the ocean. How can one believe that the soul is going to live when the continent of the human body disappears? The soul spills out like water from a flask when it breaks. And that That's beautiful. is the life of Delia del Carril. Wow. That was, that was a really big, full life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like again, yeah. getting into this, I had no idea anything about this person. And like as I'm reading, I'm like, oh damn, damn, mm -hmm. the years are going on, years are going on. I'm like, girl, how old are you? Like, no offense, yeah. but I'm just like, good. I mean, good for her. She was healthy, especially for someone around. I mean, how many people do you know that you yeah. make it past 100 years old? Yeah, even nowadays, she said 25 was old. Yeah, I know. Isn't that so funny? She yeah. looked to be 104. Yeah, and she thought she was older. Four times that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Which is whew, yeah. wild, but ta-da! That's amazing. What was something, what was your favorite thing you learned about her? I love that she was ahead of her time. Mm -hmm. She was years, what is the word? Wise beyond your years mm -hmm. kind of thing. Like the, again, like the demeanor and attitude that she had, I feel like would be so normal nowadays. Yeah. But she was having these thoughts and feelings during a time period that were shunned upon in a yeah. sense. And so to see her still kind of keep that like strong demeanor that she had was great mm -hmm. um like she would try to be not one of the guys but would would aim to impress because she's like i know i can mm -hmm. so i'm going to mm -hmm. so i just think that she like had this really strong personality and these traits that were i think would have been really awesome to be around mm -hmm. like people saying how she was charming and everything like that i was like i think she would have been a really cool person to get to know yeah so yeah if she knew all these people, she traveled to her, she probably had a lot to offer. Yeah. yeah. So I just thought it was really cool that she persisted in so many aspects of her life despite the things that she was facing against yeah. and everything, like whether it was more personal because of the hardships that she had when she was, you know, younger. You know, she – so I like early on in the beginning when I was reading this, I was like, damn, girl, you were hella privileged. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, she was privileged in different ways, but she did suffer – and go through a lot of shit in her life as well and she persisted yeah and it's not like she like she used her privilege to help people obviously like she um housed a lot of people took care of them yeah what was the most surprising thing to you or what caught you off guard um what caught me off guard i guess just her traveling so much that kind of caught me off guard because i for some had no idea that someone could live so you know, also her hanging out with a bunch of artists in Paris. That's pretty cool. Like, it seems like she was there for a lot of really important things. Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah, and also that she lived so long. <laughs> like, or I think earlier you were, when you were naming time periods, I was like, okay, this is like, oh, she's this old now, she's this old. And I was like, wow. I never realized because the way that the book had it set in like time periods, they didn't always mention her age. Mm -hmm. And so it made it really easy to forget the age, which I think actually is kind of a good thing mm -hmm. because you're more focused on what was going on. Yeah. And then eventually you're like, oh, yeah, she passed away at 104. You're like, holy shit. Mm -hmm. So I I think she made the most of life. Definitely. And I think if I were her, I would hope that I would feel content that I lived the life that I did and that I did what I could mm -hmm. and tried to live no, with no regrets kind of thing. So Yeah, definitely. And she never had kids. No, she never had kids. The book never went into details. Like this was, again, this this person went to a lot of, um, like a lot of interviews. Like you can look in the, like the back of the mm -hmm. book. The, this is people this writer interviewed. Mm, to understand her? To just get, wow. So like this book is really well researched mm -hmm. and like also sources mm -hmm. that he went through. Like this is a really researched book just based off on like a lot of that information. So yeah, like firsthand knowledge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There was like again, there were so many names on here. Like I did, I only listed like one percent mm -hmm. of the names that were mm -hmm. in here because I didn't know them. Yeah, and I actually I wrote a couple of them down. I'm like, should I just look what this is or look what that is? But yeah, you're oh, for the web. <laughs> yeah, for mm -hmm. and the other thing that really surprised me is like after learning so much about her, I was like, I was surprised going through the things that she went through, the experiences she's had. I was like, how ha have we not heard of this person? Uh -huh. I mean, like, yeah. you had heard of Pablo Neruda, but I'm like... Right. And, and Diego this... Rivera. <laughs> exactly. So one of the things that actually kind of <clears throat> bothered me a little bit was, like, the the book, um, The Ant, Delia del Carril, the avant-garde artist who married Pablo Neruda. I'm like, mm -hmm. you didn't have to mention that, he, that, that she married him because right. her life was just literally cut out that portion of him, and she mm -hmm. still lived a really cool life. Definitely, yeah. So I'm just like, why do you gonna mention the husband, man? Was it written by a man? <laughs> it was. Oh. <laughs> but I think actually, mm -hmm. um, and he was part of the Neruda Foundation or something like that. Mm -hmm. They should make a movie out of her life. <laughs> yeah. I'd watch that. Mm -hmm. I think that really, really, really fascinating. Because like, honestly, like there were some details that I, I left out and stuff like that because I'm just like, okay, cool. It's not as important right now or it's just like a small little fraction information. I'm like, but no, she, I'd watch that. Mm -hmm. Like, have you ever seen the Freedom movie <laughs> with Thelma Hayek? I don't know if I have. Mm -hmm. You should watch it. I should. I mean, they're not like comparable because they're totally different people. Mm -hmm. But I feel like if you were to meet, like, she's also someone who's into art the arts and like knows a lot of like high name people mm -hmm. that, you know yeah so i so i like as you were talking i was just like oh like i feel like this would be a really good movie in the same yeah. style well if anyone wants to make a movie about her i know well yeah. any last comments about la hormiguita um i guess i just wish that we knew more about her really because now I'm like, oh, I feel like I want to go home and research her a little bit more, too. I want to know what her art is like. What was she Ooh. influenced by? Like, you know what? I don't know that information, but in mm -hmm. here there are a couple of pictures of of her art. Again, she did a lot of horses. She was really known for um, drawing her horses. Horse yeah, that's a lot of the type of artwork that mm -hmm. she would do. And I, and like during that time period, that kind of art was well known. 
mm. and popular or something like cool. that. Yeah. I love the 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 mm -hmm. photo that they chose for this. Mm -hmm. I think it just really well it shows her I don't know, I just feel like it really describes who she was as a person now after reading mm -hmm. the book and everything. Like mm -hmm. I feel like this is such a fitting image for her. Like poised, elegant, but strong. Yeah. And not afraid to be that confident person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially like as a woman, like being in a time period, being a confident woman. Shonda Pound. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing. Yay. I'm glad. I will end it there. I hope you enjoyed that. To, yours, to the first of many. Mm -hmm. Till next time. <laughs> Goodbye.